Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Zern. What's up, Claude? Uh, do you know what's ridiculous? I do. I was so hoping for you to ask me this because you're ready to have your wig peeled back? Every single day. Nicolas Cage once did mushrooms with his cat. <laughs> So okay. he was on David Letterman, and he tells the story about this time he and his cat, Lewis, because he's the type of person who would give a human name to a cat. You have to give yes, human names I know, to animals. You're, you're with All this. my animals have had human names. Okay. I'm, I, I get it. So Larry the cat? It's a it's a type. I know. I'm just saying. So <laughs> you guys have intimate relationships yes. with your pets, and that's what I was just saying, setting the ground rules. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he and Lewis uh, were sitting there, and Lewis had been eyeballing his bag of mushrooms that he kept in his fridge. And these are magic mushrooms, psychedelic mushrooms, yeah. right? These aren't Not like shit. Yeah. Exactly. So Cage tells Letterman, the cat, he ate them voraciously. It was like catnip to him. So I thought, what the heck? I better do it with him. So he then gets down low because, you know, he's Nicolas Cage. He's like, I'm going to do some shrooms with my cat. So he says, and I quote, after he eats like a couple handfuls, I remember lying in my bed for hours. And Lewis was on the desk across from the bed for hours, just staring at each other, not moving. But he would stare at me. And then Nicholas Cage comes to the conclusion, I had no doubt that he was my brother. So he and his cat had a moment. And I'm just like, dude. This is like today in irresponsible pet ownership. <laughs> Nicholas Cage, you're making your mama sound like she got some splaining to do. <laughs> yes. Anyway, there you go. That... Nicholas Cage doing shrooms with his cat Lewis. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Do you know what else is ridiculous? No, but I bet you're going to tell me. Firing on the U.S. military over some rum. Wait, what? <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, cons. It's always 99% murder-free. And? 100% ridiculous. Damn right. Uh, Zarin. Yes. Have you ever been in a conversation with other humans and used the phrase, 
the real McCoy, or are you not a member of the greatest generation? <laughs> I am not a member of the greatest generation, but I sample them heavy. So, so you've called something I, the real McCoy. Oh, you've my like God. St- stood there looking at a product. But you know what, guys? This is the real McCoy. A hundred percent. And not only have I said it, but I've encouraged others to say it, like small children. I'm like, you should, hey, tell isn't, your friends this is the real McCoy. Isn't that the greatest love, giving old-timey yes. phrases to little kids? You know kids. this is my hobby. I, I am trying to get my nephew to say good grief more. <laughs> Like when, because right now he'll pop out with the ay 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 when something goes wrong, and I don't know where that came from, but I like it. So now I'm trying to get him into the good grief. You got any other uh, old uh, sayings you like? Uh, I like I like also like trying to get him to say what in tarnation. <laughs> you know. I've been what about to, you? Uh, I've been actually uh, t- whenever I've seen your nephew, I've been trying to get him to say red sky at night, sailors delight. Oh my god, red sky in morning, <laughs> sailors take, take warning. warning. Yeah, you know, Navy it's a family. Bit much. Yeah, exactly. Grew up with that. So, um, the real McCoy. Yes. Uh, There are a lot of theories on where that phrase comes from. It's a gang smuggler, right? No. (laughs) No? No. Uh, Some say it's from the Scots, the real McKay. Oh. And... um, but I don't know what the real McKay was. Okay, I it thought was it was like the, the, the rum that was like, others, this is the sh- Well, others say it had to do with Elijah McCoy, uh, inventor of the ironing board. Oh, and it was sense. something with people wanting like his authentic items and not other companies' versions. So it's like if this was like the singer sewing machine, like, this is the real singer. This is the real singer. Okay. Um, there was also a boxer named Norman Shelby, Norman Selby, uh-huh. pardon me, uh, <laughs> who boxed under the name Kid McCoy. Okay. And there's this legend that he was like boozing it up at a bar one night and another patron was told, hey, you know, that's a famous boxer. That's Kid McCoy. And the p- drunk patron's like, no, you're not. And like, you know, pushes him and, you know, makes a face out of him. I don't know how these bar like... fights start. <laughs> and then <laughs> he was like, nanny poo-poos. And then Norman decked him. Mm-hmm. The guy falls down and then he's like, guess what? I'm the real McCoy. That's a... That's a, that's the, a great legend. Yeah, that's a, that's a mic dropper. And you're standing over somebody and going, guess what? I'm the real McCoy, son. <laughs> exactly. I'm the real Zarin. Um, <laughs> not, not quite the great so, ring. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, so the most agreed upon origin, though, is the Scots. There was a brand of whiskey from Glasgow in the mid-1800s called Messrs. A&M McKay. Hmm. And the slogan that they used was the real McKay to differentiate it from the various other McKay people products Okay, who just tried to like... Weezing yeah, on their name. I guess. And so then people over on this side of the ocean misheard it as McCoy. Mm-hmm. Speaking of alcohol, there is another potential source. Okay, is this phrase. the one? That... Yes. So right. there's this famous rum runner, yes. one who never watered down his hooch. Exactly. That's the story. Yes. His name, William Bill McCoy. Okay. That's who I want to talk to you about today. Yes. So... I have to say, I do love good prohibition smuggling stories. Dude, my father told these like a bedtime story. They're great. I don't like. I don't currently drink, but I have in the past, uh-huh. and I know that alcohol it can be a terrible destroyer of lives, both mm-hmm. for the drinker and ones who love and care about the drinker. But those, for those with a healthy relationship with alcohol, it can be a lot of fun, very enjoyable. Totally. It's like the toxicologists say. It's the, the dose makes the poison. Exactly. And we know that prohibition, it didn't save the lives of alcoholics. No, no, no. So it wasn't beneficial. Alcoholics, they have an illness. They'll get booze yeah. however they can do That's it. That's what bathtub gin comes in. Exactly. So prohibition made getting the alcohol, uh, you know. More costly. As well as the alcohol itself. Getting it and it's the alcohol itself even more dangerous. Oh, yeah. People are going blind. Yeah. So it was a stupid idea. Mm-hmm. Prohibition was stupid. If you I'm wanted to regulate on, alcohol, it Zarin, was. I'm going on record. Wow. You it really? Was, prohibition was stupid. Wow. Yeah. You're going to take that stance. I'm going to. Stupid. I'm going to issue a proclamation. It's very stupid. 
Um, but I love the idea of um, people getting around a stupid idea. <laughs> you and me both, yeah. sister. So there's this also with like these this kind of like rum running. There's the excitement of sailing into secret coves. Oh yeah, or like careening down country roads. We've mm-hmm. talked about you know those people before. So this is a prohibition story. Okay. Uh, Bill McCoy, he was born in 1877 in Syracuse, New York. Mm -hmm. He went to the Pennsylvania Nautical School. And when he was there, he was on the, uh, he was on a ship. He like, you know, trained, graduated first in his class in 1895. Good on you, son. 1898. What happened that year in maritime history, Zarin? 1898. Um... Sinking of the Maine? I knew you know it. Yes. Nice. Okay. <laughs> the Maine, the Maine explodes in Havana. Yes. McCoy was there. Oh damn. Yeah, he was a mate and quartermaster on the P and O steamer Olivet, which was also docked in Havana at the time. Mm-hmm. So here we have the real McCoy, witness to history. Damn. He's just there. Nice. Sees the beginning of the Spanish American War. Oh yeah, exactly. Right there. So he's like, he's a little hard boiled at this point. Yes, I bet. 1900, his family moves um, to Holly Hill, Florida. All right. And so McCoy and his older brother, Ben. Uh, Hill in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) McCoy and his older brother, Ben, they um, had this motorboat service and like a boatyard um, out of both Holly Hill and then Jacksonville. Okay. Oh, so they're up, okay, the north side. Okay. I didn't know where Holly Hill was. Me neither. By 1918, Bill, he's known, he's like a really skilled yacht builder, um, he built vessels for people like Andrew Carnegie, Andrew mm. Carnegie, mm-hmm. however you want to say it, and the Vanderbilts. Oh, yeah. So he's he's like building Big these money. high-end yachts. There's these captains of industry that keep sneaking into our stories, right? <laughs> so cars, though, are starting to spread across the country like a cancer. Mm-hmm. And ever-expanding, chaotic, new. In order to keep up with this, Florida starts building highways up and down the coast. And the roads, they were traveled by cars and buses. They're bringing tourists to all the sunny spots on the water. These are like their old shell roads, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You'd think that this would be a boon for the McCoy brothers, right? Mm-hmm. No. Hmm. No, Zarin. No. People wanted to be able to drive from place to place. Okay. And not a lot of people wanted to get on their boats to go from, like, scenic spot to scenic spot. <laughs> okay. And same with freight. Like, they were hauling stuff up and down the coast, but now it's like, oh, we can just put it in these big trucks. Oh, gotcha. It makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, enter prohibition. (laughs) So while the U.S. was enacting prohibition, Canada and the Caribbean, they repealed their prohibition policies. So the U.S. looked to Canada for whiskey and the Caribbean for rum. Mm -hmm. Let's say that you have a robust boat business, the knowledge that comes with that. You have a robust boat business and the knowledge that comes with that. (laughs) You're a skilled cat. Let's say it. <laughs> I thought we were doing it together. You <laughs> left repeat, me hanging, Dutton. Repeat after me. You're a you're a skilled captain. You can pilot in like shallow waters and sure. and large cargo. You're navigating loads. sandbars. You know the area like the back of your hands. Yeah. Um, legitimate business is drying up. You're not too far from a significant source of quality rum. Mm. So of course, rum running is a viable option for it's you. It's a career path I'm considering. It really is. So the majority of the ships that were illegally transporting alcohol would fly British flags because mm-hmm. um, the Bahamas were still totally. British colonies. However, the ships were actually registered in Canada and were owned by Canadians with ties to American syndicates. Oh, interesting. So it's Canadian registry, but you got, you're got you under the British flag. Yeah. Um, the free trade policy that of the British kind of backed this. Scotch whiskey um, and top shelf brands of champagne and other European alcoholic beverages, they were um, brought, exported 100% legally from Britain to be stockpiled in the Bahamas. Okay. 
And then the profit margin, huge, right? Mm-hmm. So a $4 case of rum purchased in Cuba would sell for $100 in Florida. Wow. There's a lot of money to be made. So <laughs> That's even beyond though a lot. You're That's like, stupid money to be made. You're like this patriotic, you know, guy. You've uh-huh. got this business. But it's like when you're faced with that, your business is dying. Yeah. And you have this opportunity. Of course, you're going to take it. So the McCoy brothers, they sold off their businesses. And they moved to Gloucester, Massachusetts. Okay. And it was there that they bought a 90-foot fishing schooner, the Henry L. Marshall. And they had, now they had the Henry L. Marshall. They start um, building their new enterprise, smuggling whiskey um, from the Bahamas, islands of Nassau and Bimini into the U.S. Nice. So they had to go up to New England to get like a suitable fishing schooner. A real boat. I mean, my family's near Gloucester. You got real shipbuilders. Right. At so, the like, time for the Henry L. Marshall was all right, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, but Bill McCoy, he wanted something bigger. Okay. He wanted power. He wanted it to be faster. Yes. Something you'll like. So he tries out a bunch of different boats, and he finally finds his love. She's a beaut. Hmm. And she was named the Arasthusa. Arasthusa? Aras- Is that all one word? Yeah, Arasthusa. Hmm. A-R-E-T-H-U-S-A. Cool. Arasthusa. Don't know that. Arasthusa? I have no idea. Whatever. Um, 120 I'm assuming it's a, it's a mythological Arathus, thing. I think it's Greek. Yeah. 127-foot uh, fishing schooner. It was designed in 1907 by Thomas McManus and built in Essex, Massachusetts by James and Tarr in 1909. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> no, not necessarily. It didn't mean anything to me either. So McCoy's sailboat, though, that could outrun steamers. It was a beast. So yeah. he souped it up even more. Yes. And soon it was one of the fastest commercial sailing vessels on the Atlantic coast. Oh, He's hell just yeah. got the big boy out there. So the Arethusa, Arethusa, I keep putting extra syllables in this. That's fun. His boat yes. could carry the, the Zarathustra. <laughs> right, that's what he's... Arathusa. Please don't send messages telling me how to say it, because quite frankly, I don't care. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so the boat it could carry up to six thousand cases of booze. Okay. And so while it's generally bad luck to rename a boat, McCoy did just that. Thank God. <laughs> um, he decides to call it the Tomoka. T-O-M-O-K-A. Okay, Tomoka. I'm assuming this is like a Tasalgi Cherokee name. It's the name of the river that ran through his adopted hometown of Holly Hill, Florida. Oh, so it probably was. Yeah. yeah. So or changing Creek. changing the name, name, though, let him re-register the vessel. Oh, okay. Which is why he did it. So this time he did so under British flags, and that put him even further out of reach from American authorities. Hmm. So as I mentioned earlier, McCoy, he refused to lower the standards of his smuggled product. Okay. So there were a lot of bootleggers, rum runners. They cut their haul with water or sometimes even turpentine oh, to make God. it go further and to kill more people. Uh, not Bill. He'd never cut it. He never switched labels. Mm-hmm. He only sold the real McCoy. That's what my pop used to tell me. Yes. It was known because you could count on it because it was the only one that wasn't cut. It was never the cut, uncut booze. Didn't mess around with McCoy. any of the bottles, the packaging. That's what his customers would say. Hey, yeah. this is the real McCoy. He became like a prestige luxury, luxury brand because of it. His rum was renowned as the gold standard, and that let him set his price at top dollar. Hell yeah. So outside of American ports at the time, just past the maritime limit, and I'll get to that whole Mm -hmm. issue in a second, there would be these lines of ships filled with illegal booze Uh waiting to offload their cargo and sneak it ashore. They're they're called rum rows. Yeah. And um, one's all up and down the Florida coast. They're also outside of the East Coast Mm -hmm. ports, New Orleans, San Francisco, um, in the rum row frequented by McCoy, his pricing was set as the official price of booze coming in. 
And so his status in the booze criming community, it rose. Yeah. And he expanded his business to include five boats. He had dozens of men. All right. Uh, they made trips monthly between the Bahamas and Florida. He transported approximately two million bottles of alcohol during his career. God damn. Two million. His brother Ben um, would meet Tomoka in a rowboat. Mm-hmm. And um, he'd bring them fresh water, meat, vegetable, all this food, newspapers. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, the public, he wanted to see the newspapers because the public is fascinated by bootleggers, moonshiners, totally. speakeasies. That's how Al Capone made his name. Yeah. And McCoy, more than happy to provide stories. Hell yeah. Right? So he claimed that he, to find inspiration in John Hancock of pre-revolutionary <laughs> Boston. That was his role model. I like it. He called himself a, quote, honest lawbreaker. He could also take a stock in Sam Adams' reputation. Oh, there it, yeah. So McCoy, he took f- pride in the fact that he, quote, never paid a cent to law enforcement, uh-huh. politicians, or organized crime families for protection. I respect that. And he was known he, he n- had never carried a debt. He always paid yeah. his debts. Um When we come back, (laughs) I'll tell you about McCoy and his dance with the Coast Guard. All right. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like, Full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime. It also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel, and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield. A man who got his start at the school that I went to would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, 
if someone presented this program to me and not just because I've already experienced it. Sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. Hey, look at us. That was good. Um, When we left off, Bill McCoy flouting the laws of the land, smuggling rum into the U.S. from the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. I told you about the rum row, boats anchored just outside the maritime Outside international waters, yeah. Yeah, it was Bill McCoy who figured out how to exploit that technicality. Oh, so he's like the Mickey Cohen from California. (laughs) It's like, oh, if we sit out here, ain't nothing they can do. Exactly. So the Coast Guard, they could only legally operate within the three-mile maritime boundary of the Mm -hmm. coast. Beyond that, all bets are off. McCoy, he would drop anchor just beyond the boundary, offload his goods onto smaller, faster boats that could then outpace any of the Coast Guard cutters. <laughs> and since the, the the deals were going down in international waters, he's yeah. technically not breaking the law. No, completely. Uh, he's clean. Here's something to note, though. Prohibition ratified January 16th, 1919. Uh-huh. At that time, the maritime limit was three miles. On April 21st, 1924, it was changed to 12 miles. I was wondering when it got to 12. I was just So what's the significance of this April 1924? Uh, headwaters or something? Well, it was about a week after the Anti-Heroin Act of 1924 was introduced to Congress. Huh. And that prohibited the import or possession of opium for the chemical sim- synthesis of heroin. Sure. So that passed the Senate May 27th, 1924, signed into law June 7th. Um, so it looks like the extension of the maritime limit was actually not so much for the war on the drink, but more on the early days of the war on the drugs. Huh. So they wanted to be able to push those boats out further mm-hmm. and then give them a chance to catch them because... Yep. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So either way, McCoy's plan sitting just outside the line worked perfectly. So we had these main transport vessels waiting. The contact boats would come up. They were captained by local fishermen who are experts at knowing all the little hidden landing points, inlets, and all. And Florida got plenty of those. Totally. Um, After the exchange of money and alcohol is complete, the smaller boat sped away, meets up with a truck. The speedboat and the truck vanish into the night. There it is. So the knowledge of his, like, rum-running hack to create a rum row spread quickly, and soon there's, like, rows of boats all over the place. So he invented the rum row. Hmm. Um, This is what Florida historian Gene Burnett no relation, I don't think. Had to say. No, the way people. <laughs> Quote, the U.S. Coast Guard was sorely undermanned in the early years, effective by day and aid of a spotter plane, but hard-pressed at night. Often the rum fleets, mostly speedy motorboats, would slowly move out of the mouse holes at Bimini, Cat Key, or Gun Key, and wait for sunset. Then they would spread out fan fashion, picking up speed, and scoot like so many water bugs, often cutting between two Coast Guard cutters to avoid the staccato rain of machine gun fire. Damn. Right? They were firing <laughs> they on them. They were firing on them. So the Coast Guard was given 20 American Navy destroyers in order to fight rum runners. What are they going to do with destroyers? You'll just go see. out to the row and be like, well, yeah. So, like, but here's break the up thing. Your line, the like the rum a... runners weren't just fighting the Coast Guard. They also fighting had each other. other smugglers, yeah. right? So they'd commandeer boats. They'd uh-huh. toss the crew overboard. Back to McCoy and Tomoka. So also, yeah, you got to worry that sometimes if you were getting pulled over by a boat, that it may be one of your rivals pretending to be the Coast exactly. Guard. Exactly. So like, yeah, exactly. So, um... Transit papers made it look like Tomoka was transporting alcohol legally from the Bahamas to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. So they, they're like, look, we were allowed totally. to have this on there. What happens in between? I don't know. 
So regardless of whether or not Tomoka ever dropped anchor in Halifax, there were no laws that prevented him from selling his his booze in international waters, like mm-hmm. I said. Yeah. So as long as he did his business there, he's within his legal rights. He had strict rules in place. He'd only let two customers on board at a time. Okay. And so it's like going into a, a convenience shop? store <laughs> or a jewelry shop. Um, a gunner kept a swivel machine gun trained on any nearby vessels wow. to make sure there's no trouble. So like, well, you got the two people on, you're, you're under the gun. <laughs> McCoy took things a step further. He established a land base on the island of Saint-Pierre. Oh, dope. And um, He's getting into, like, Bond villain levels now. Right. So he's outside of U.S. law. He's in a French colony. There's no competitors nearby. Mm-hmm. His eco- He transformed the economy of this, of this island mm-hmm. under his guidance. It becomes a commercial merchant port. Oh, yeah. Pr- pretty much because of him. Well, you see that, like, in um, the Peaky Blinders up north where they have yes. that one port because they're bringing in all their Irish whiskey. Exactly, yeah. and that's the lifeblood. So McCoy... He has this crew of eight guys. They'd sell cases of liquor bottles. They'd stack them and then wrap them in burlap packages mm-hmm. labeled as like hams. Or sometimes they just write sacks. <laughs> like, this is a sack. Don't worry about what's inside. What's in there? A bunch of sad well, sacks. Well, and he invented this thing called the burlock. The burlock? I never heard of that. It's six bottles wrapped in straw and then stacked pyramid style, three on the bottom, two on top, one on top of that. And then all of it is sewed up really tightly in burlap. And so it's really compact and easy to stow. And some of them they would line with salt. So when they toss them overboard, the sacks would sink. But then the salt would dissolve, and then the sacks would float back to the top. Wow. That is Zarin-level science. Totally. I love action. that. Can you see my fight? My face <laughs> light totally, up? Totally. Like, oh, yes. So Rum Row had major party vibes. Yeah, it feels like uh, it. It was Rude Dude Central out there. <laughs> There's basically, it's a debauched pirate convention. Yes. Jazz bands performed oh, on board. Yeah. Like for tourists, crewmen taunted and heckled the Coast Guard. They're like, neener, neener. <laughs> Um, there's gambling, as you said. Uh-huh. Um, there were prostitutes. They'd make twice as much money by sea as they did on shore. Okay. Uh, so it's so, kind of like with the gold camps where it's like you're going to make a lot more because there's no women out exactly. here. Exactly. Now, McCoy, he was a teetotaler. He never indulged in any of the vices associated with the illicit rum running trade. Well, that is the didn't way. Didn't drink, didn't gamble. Yeah. Don't he get didn't high ha- on your own supply. He did have a weakness, though. Oh, Beauty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for him, that beauty went by the name Gertrude Cleo Lithgow. Gertrude Cleo Lithgow. Is she yeah. British? Well, I don't know. Oh. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lithgow, she was given the name Cleo because she was considered to be as beautiful as Queen Cleopatra herself. Oh. Uh, she was called the Queen of the Bahamas. So wait, Cleo was her nickname? Yeah. Okay. Gertrude was her. So, okay. I mean, I would go with Cleo over Gertrude. Yeah, totally. No offense to any Gertrudes. Um, so people called her the Queen of the Bahamas. She had all these suitors. She never married, mm-hmm. and she ran a full empire all by herself. Um, the one man she did give attention to, at least professionally, Captain McCoy. Yes. So this is what McCoy had to say about Cleo to Robert Wrigley, who was a journalist. Quote, She was a tall, slender girl with black hair, a brain as steady as her own dark eyes, and a history that was nobody's business. She came to Nassau as an agent for Haig and McTavish's Scotch whiskey. No one knew from where. She made no secret of her background, but she told an entirely different tale to everyone who asked. She was born in California. She'd been born in India. She was a gypsy. She'd been raised in the Middle West. You could take your choice. Members of the rum mob who drew their own conclusions concerning her and then tried to operate accordingly, 
probably will recall the breathtaking fury she could show. And one or two must remember the pistol jammed into their ribs by way of making things clear. Hmm. Nassau was not the best place in those days for attractive, unprotected women. But though she was the former, she certainly was not the latter. An able, thoroughly competent girl was she. No twittery Jane in whom one could make passes with impunity. She expected others to mind their own business as she attended to hers. She worked at that overtime, and in its course, she nearly ran me ragged. Dang. She sounds amazing. This is in Nassau on the Bahamas. Yeah. So it's like totally reminded me of like the Pirate Cove, the Black Sails exactly. era. Exactly. Like, you know, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is dope. And so Robert Wrigley, that journalist, he had a big thing for Cleo. Like, I bet. He was sweet like on her. It. I think a lot of men were sweet on her. This is how he described her. Quote, Truly a wonderful personality, a woman of cultivated tastes, who can talk on books and who travels with the best music in her trunks and shows such artistic taste and dress. She stands alone and fearless, a woman who would grace any London drawing room. She has commanded the respect and homage of this motley and dubious throng and is known in the trade as the Queen of the Bahamas. Oh, yeah, that's a love letter. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's like, please read this, baby. <laughs> Seriously. So McCoy, he mentors Lithgow. Okay. Um, and she followed his example of never watering her own product. She yeah. saw the genius in that. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a point of pride for Lithgow. And then when word got back to her that a rival was spreading a lie that she sold compromised goods, she tracked this guy down. This is what Wrigley wrote about this, that as Cleo told him. Okay. Quote, Everyone knows that my liquor is the very best, she said, but for some reason or another, this man thought he would criticize it to other people, and he also said something unpleasant about me. Well, I found him in a barber's shop with his face lathered, and I just walked right in, and I told him I wanted to talk to him. I fetched him along to my office, and there I just warned him. I told him I'd put a bullet through him as sure as he sat there. He went away mighty quick. So she just like whips him out of the barber's chair. Come with me. Just like face still full of lather yeah, sitting there. It's exactly. dripping it on his jacket. So she's like, she has all this legend about where she's from and all her stories. She was actually born. And she keep that thing on her. Oh, yeah. She's actually born in Bowling Green, Ohio uh-huh. and was the youngest of 10 children. Her mom died when she was really young. Um, but she was able to then like reunite with her father later with the help of an aunt. Like it was just like okay. this scattered family. She moves to New York. She gets a job as a stenographer. And then she becomes a junior accounts clerk for British Scotch whiskey wholesaler Haig and McTavish. Ah, that's so that's her that's in. her entry. So prohibition comes. She um convinces her employer, like, why don't we import alcohol from the Bahamas? Like, yeah. let's just do it there. So this time she she moves down to Nassau to help them. She opens a wholesale liquor store in the Lucerne Hotel, and that's where she also lived. She became the first woman to possess a wholesale liquor license. Mm. Now, the Lucerne Hotel, that was like bootleggers' headquarters. Um, The only thing is that it had more of booze was cash. Like, (laughs) there was just so much money on the People are using it to hold down paper. This is what Jim Leggett of of Whiskey Magazine put put it. So Whiskey Magazine, like, you subscribe, right? Oh, yeah. I've been a lifetime subscriber. (laughs) Quote, bar tabs were paid in $1,000 bills and every barman could give change. (laughs) That's something. So whiskey became a favorite down there. Um, 1919, over 900 gallons were exported from Scottish distilleries. Hmm. And in 1920, the year after Prohibition hit, the Mm -hmm. shipments totaled 386,000 gallons. Wow. So Lithgow, though, Cleo, she's the middleman. She makes trips smuggling rum directly into New Jersey with McCoy. Okay. Um, At one point, she found herself caught, kind of. 
Um, she got arrested and was taken into the federal courts in New Orleans. Um, she was she got charged caught by the revenue agents. <laughs> Revenueers. She got um, charged with smuggling a thousand barrels of whiskey and rum into New Orleans. All right. Here's the problem uh, for the authorities, not for her. Um, while it was she who arranged the shipment, the man she put um, her, in charge of making the delivery betrayed her, and he tried to sell the goods on his own. He's the one captured by the Coast Guard. And then that gave her the proof that, look, I was nowhere near this. He had mm-hmm. the shipment. So they let her go. Yeah. She gets out. Now, this close brush made her a little nervous. Okay. So she decides to quit while she's ahead, leave rum, run rumming for a more peaceful hobby, mm-hmm. a favorite among good criminals. Okay. Memoir writing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but, telling you, I picked the wrong road to publishing. <laughs> totally. Before she could do that, though, she had one more matter to attend to. What's that? Captain McCoy. Yeah. Yeah. When we get back from this break... I'm going to let you know what happened to this love affair. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right, Zarin. Yo, what's up, up, Real McCoy? Wake up, wake up. Okay, when we left off, Bill McCoy ruling the waves, smuggling illegal alcohol alongside the love of his life, Cleo Lithgow. Dirty. Cleo wants out of the life. Yeah. Um, she wants to write her memoir, take it easy, but she knew that McCoy wasn't ready for that. Oh, really? Yeah. She, you know, she'd gotten through the whole New Orleans case and everything, but she also, after that, she's positive that she's jinxed and she's also positive she's going to be murdered. She just has this feeling. So she's like, I got to get out of this. But then she also has to tell McCoy then it's over. Is she into like spiritualism? Like why is she so sad? I don't know. Just curious. This is how, so she has to tell, she has to break it to Bill McCoy. Yeah, it's over. Like we can't do this. Like we can't both be Uh one in, one out. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what she said. Quote, believe me, it's a tremendous temptation, but I still have some unfinished business. Tales ends, which must have my attention. It is urgent that I return. There have been so many interruptions as it is. Besides, I hardly think it would be proper for me to stay aboard with three captains. With that, he jumped up and grabbed me in his arms, saying, I won't let you go. For once, I did not resist his caresses. If you must go back, promise me that you will get the slate cleared of whatever you have to do as soon as possible. Meanwhile, I'll finish the overhauling of the ships here and the one in Virginia. We'll meet in Miami, then go on a long cruise to the South Seas and just jog along as we please. I won't let you go until you do promise. It was with reluctance that I compelled myself to wake from those wonderful moments. As I said goodbye with my arms around his neck, I kissed him. All right, Bill, I promise. Oh. Cleo never saw him again. I knew it. Yeah. That's why that oh, all. Like, <laughs> that was it. That lie. Yeah, she was like, it's the total lie. Oh, of it. it's a heartbreaker. So the Fairmount News of Indiana. I'm pulling for those co- crazy kids. I know, I was right? Like, I hope they can work it out. Well, they like she, this is what they said about her in this Fair, Fairmount News of Indiana. All right. That she, her work as a smuggler quote brought her Paris gowns and jewels as big as hen's eggs and the respect of the hardest boiled bootleggers on the Atlantic seaboard. But she thinks her lucky star has set. A jinx has tracked her down from her whiskey throne in Nassau, uh, through the most luxurious hotels of European capitals, through glamorous newspaper publicity, through hectic romances, to the loneliness of a New York hotel suite where she can hide from the world and recover her lost nerve and her health. So she's just like feeling pursued by this. And she goes all over the globe trying to find peace. So she spent the rest of her life living in hotels. You know, she goes to Miami. Then she lived in a hotel in Detroit for 25 years. The 25 Tuller, years? Wow. The Tuller Hotel on Grand Circus Park. I wonder what brought her to Detroit. I don't know, but she spent her last years writing her memoirs. Uh, the Bahama Queen, the, uh-huh. aut- the autobiography of Gertrude Cleo Lithgow, published in 1965. Hmm. She passed away at the age of 86 in 1974 in Los Angeles. Hmm. So... Interesting life, right? So Cleo, she stepped away from the life. McCoy leaned into it. Oh. Zarin. Yes. Close your eyes. Yes. Picture it. It's early morning on Sunday, November 25th, 1923. You're part of a crew of the Tamaka. 
or Tomoko, Tomoka? The Tomoka. Whatever. Sailing <laughs> off the coast of Seabright, New Jersey. It's Seabright. <laughs> Uh, You're far enough offshore to be in international waters. You hear a boat approaching you from starboard. It's the Coast Guard Cutter Seneca. They've been given orders to bring in the Tomoka or Sinker. You don't know that, though. You hear a short sound from the Seneca's horn and then a voice coming over the ship's tannoy. It's the lieutenant in charge of the Seneca. He orders Captain McCoy to dock Tomoka at Sandy Hook, New Jersey. He says that there's something amiss with McCoy's papers. You look at McCoy, he looks at you. Well, Captain, you stand in the door of the cabin, holding the mouthpiece to the ship's speaker out to McCoy. What's he going to tell him? McCoy waves off your offer and instead calls out, slip the stern line, while, the, while he steers the ship away from the Coast Guard. Full speed ahead, the chase is on, Zara. Yes, hammer down! You head below deck to secure the cargo of rum uh, you've got while McCoy careens up and down the coast evading the Seneca. Oh, yeah. He makes a hard turn, and you realize that you're heading out into the open ocean now. The coastline and its speckled dabs of morning light from the little fishing cabins, they disappear from view. Suddenly, you hear a frightful sound. Bang! The Seneca has fired a shell across your bow. Oh, snap. (laughs) McCoy's at the helm, steady at the wheel. You and your crewmates scatter to the wooden cases along the deck and reach in for your tools to trade. Machine guns. Yeah, give me that Tommy gun. To the forward deck, yells McCoy. You and the other deckhands return fire. You're firing on the United States Coast Guard. You damn right. So the Seneca responds. One, two, three, four shells fly at you. They're getting so close now that they're splashing seawater onto the deck. Uh, McCoy realizes he's no match for their firepower, so he lowers the jib. The men from the Coast Guard, they come and they board the ship. McCoy's gone below deck at this point. So there he is sitting with 400 cases of whiskey and $60,000 in cash. (laughs) That's just over a million in today's money. So million bucks, 400 cases of whiskey. So the Coast Guard commandeer the ship. They make their way back to Sandy Hook, New Jersey, 17 some odd miles away. Um, On the way, McCoy, he takes you and all your fellow crewmen below deck, pays each of you your wages. Hmm. And then says really heartfelt goodbyes to his loyal crew. So word spread that the infamous real McCoy had been captured. At the station, reporters asked him what his defense would be at the trial. This is what he said, quote, I have no tale of woe to tell you. I was outside the three-mile limit selling whiskey and good whiskey to anyone and everyone who wanted to buy. So he's like, look, I wasn't I breaking like the it. law. Shameless. So it took. He's like, look, I did what I did. <laughs> yeah, we all know what I did. Exactly. It took two years to go to trial, all, right. all this dragging on. So he fi- he's found guilty, sentenced to nine months in prison in March of 1925. But Bill McCoy was a celebrity at this mm. point, you know, in the papers, all this oh, other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And we know how celebrity criminals are often treated. Mm-hmm. So um, not like criminals at all is basically <laughs> what we're getting at. So the warden let him lead the, leave the prison every day as long as he was <laughs> back by 9 p.m. curfew. He's like, look. I don't care what you do when you're out there. Just be back by night. I'm sure you got interviews to do. Oh, yeah. Rich people well, to hang out with. One time he goes out and he sits ringside at a prize fight at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. He's just out, you know, well, taking it all in. You know, he didn't get the best seats. That's the prison, Elizabeth. <laughs> Remember how I told you that the government pushed the maritime boundary out in yeah. 1924? Uh-huh. So it's three the... miles to 12. The government also invested in faster cutters for oh, the yeah. Coast Guard. Um, More and more rum runners were arrested and their boats were confiscated. Mm -hmm. By the time that Prohibition was repealed in 1933, what remained of the rum running trade just vanished overnight, obviously. 
1933, long after retiring from run running, uh, McCoy began selling his own personal brand of whiskey called the Real McCoy. Hey. It had like an illustration of his boat on the label. Oh, nice. Um, he went back to Florida with his brother, Ben, and invested in real estate. He passed away at the age of 71 from a heart attack and complications of tomaine poisoning. Hmm. I shouldn't laugh at that. Tomaine poisoning? Yeah. Wow. December 30th, 1948 in Stewart, Florida. He was out at sea in his private yacht. Huh. In 2013, Bailey Pryor made a documentary about him with a line of rum to go with it, um, going to Barbados and teaming up with Richard Seal of Foursquare Distillery. Oh, cool. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so in honor, though, in, in honor of Captain McCoy's habit of providing only the best rum, they yeah. produced three-year silver rum that was aged in oak barrels with no sugar, no flavor additives, as well as a 12-year super premium variety. Hmm. So, Zarin, what's your ridiculous takeaway? I wish I liked rum. Right? <laughs> no, like seriously, like, my dad loves dark rum. He loves light rum, like the clear white rums. Yeah. So he's all about Myers and Bacardi and all those rums that I mean, you, you, I'm just, you know, like naming some known get brands. Him, get him a bottle of the real McCoy for Oh, no, I mean, yeah, he, he definitely would. But like, and I, when I go to see him, he'll pour me a glass of rum and I'm always like, you know, I hate this molasses liquor. What are you doing to me here, Pop? <laughs> Don't, why can't you get good Irish whiskey? But he doesn't like whiskey and yeah. I do. So we meet at tequila. Okay. So what's ridiculous is, is this story, no matter how strange it is, reminds me of my father and makes me want tequila. <laughs> so there you go. That's amazing. That's amazing. What about you, Elizabeth? What's your ridiculous takeaway? My ridiculous you see how take I did that? Is, I did. I see how that's how. Yeah, that's, that's how that's done. That's how polite people do these yeah. things. Uh -huh. I see. Uh -huh. um, my <laughs> ridiculous takeaway is yeah, again. I love a good uh, prohibition smuggler story. Oh yeah. You know, no one was killed. So no, and it's also. I mean, it's giving the people what they want, and it's based on like uh, an arbitrary rule. Like you know me. Like I, I'm. I'm not somebody who's like, oh, the like we should just dis disregard laws. I'm not suggesting that. But I also don't believe we should hold true the laws that are just arbitrary mm -hmm. and weird and bizarre and, and abstract. It just makes no sense. So yeah. some laws are, in my opinion, you know, nonsense. And so <laughs> this one, as we both agree, it was nonsense. And so the way he did it, I applaud him. He didn't hurt people. He didn't use violence yeah. like a bunch of other people. He wasn't he was selling a good product. He wasn't hurting people. I don't see the problem, well, and I I applaud him. And I love the little sense of adventure about oh, of it. Course. And like you know, like the like I said, like the little hidden coves that you're I poking into. I love that. I mean, yeah. you know this. It's like I mean, I'm all about like the Trader Vic lifestyle of like, oh yeah, I'm gonna hide in these little coves <laughs> and gotta meet a guy on a for a boat. You know what I mean? Like anything that gets me close to like I don't know. Split the difference between Travis McGee, like the amateur detective mm -hmm. from Florida, and then like the real McCoy rum runner. I'm somewhere in somewhere between in there. there. Got but it. neither of them really have like our Law abiders. Right. Yep. Yeah. That so makes that, sense. There you go. Florida. Well, that's it. That's what we have today. I like it. Florida. Uh, you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter for the talk and Instagram for the gawkin. Uh, email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Download the iHeart app, everybody. They're not even telling me to do this. I just really like talkbacks. You do. I do. You they're, play them in the car. They're so funny. You don't know. You don't know what I do. Uh, <laughs> tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Captain Dave Couston of the SS Rude Dude. Research is by Marissa Whiskey Waddler Brown and Andrea Gin Jogger Song Sharpentier. The theme song is by Thomas Midori Meanderer Lee and Travis Fernet Frolicker Dutton. Executive producers are Ben Tequila Trotter Bolin and Noel Bourbonbounder Brown. 
Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. Was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.